Welcome to another presentation in the Fall Colloquia series brought to you by the School of Library and Information Science. My name is Ken Haycock. I'm director of the school and I'm standing in or sitting in to be specific for Anthony Bernier who uh, coordinates the uh, Colloquia series. You'll find the presentations on our uh, website um, and they're there at least every other week during the fall term. And there's also a webcast archive, so I would urge you to go to our website at slisweb.sjsu.edu. We also offer our colloquia as, as podcasts. Um, you can subscribe to the colloquia RSS feed or visit the um, portal in the iTunes uh, music store. Details of how to do this can be found on the fall 2007 colloquia page on the website. Also, I'd like you to invite you to visit the SLIS 21 um, school-wide blog maintained by our associate director, Linda Main, um, on the school's homepage. It concentrates on administrative developments, curriculum developments, and provides an opportunity for our students and others to comment on what is happening in the school. It's my great uh, pleasure this afternoon to welcome uh, Stacey Aldrich, who's the recently appointed Deputy State Librarian for California. She was actually appointed by the governor, uh, so this is a little a different process for appointment of uh, librarians. Um, and Stacy um, was recently assistant director for the Omaha uh, Public Library System, and before that she was actually deputy state librarian in Maryland, um, where she played an active role in developing programs, conferences, and discussions to help public libraries generate ideas, conversations, um, and uh, innovative programming through future thinking. She also spent six months working with Coates and Jarrett, a futuring think tank uh, located in the nation's capital. She's consulted and delivered presentations nationwide about libraries and future uh, thinking. It's clear uh, to Stacy that the best way that we can predict the future is to be an active part in its creation. I have to say, from my age, the future isn't what it used to be. <laughs> she has an MLS from the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, and is a member of the Association of Professional Futurists. Stacey, welcome uh, to the school and to this webcast. And we invited, uh, it wasn't actually we, it was actually uh, Dr. Bernier invited students to submit uh, questions as well, and that's what I'll be talking to you about uh, this afternoon. And perhaps we could start with one that came from uh, a number of students, and that's maybe you could tell us about your professional journey so far. Oh, yeah. Um, I think like everyone, I've had an interesting journey. I actually started as a Russian language major at the University of Pittsburgh. And while I was there, I was uh, the assistant to the Slavic cataloger at Pitt. And I, I liked it. And so I applied to library school right after I finished my uh, bachelor's degree and um, really got interested in technology. So my first job out of library school was at a small all-girls college in Frederick, Maryland called Hood College. I was the IT person, and while I was there, it was in the early 90s, the state of Maryland was working on a project called Sailor, which was to build a network, an internet network for all libraries, uh, and I got involved volunteering on that project and eventually got picked to come and work at the State Library in Maryland. And while I was there, I started doing futuring work, and I met some futurists, and they said, hey, why don't you come and apply and work with us? So I did, and I worked with them for about six months, and that was great. I found that I, I really like future thinking, but writing about it day after day for hours and hours was um, not as fun <laughs> thinking about the future. So um, uh, I basically felt like I had adult ADD. I just couldn't write for hours. And I left with a wonderful relationship with them, and I still continued to do consulting work with them on the side. And I went back to the State Library of Maryland because my job was still there magically. So that was great. Um, and then after that, I'd been in State Library work for about nine years, and I felt like I needed to get back into libraries to really understand what was happening on the ground level that was causing the inability to kind of move forward. And so uh, my mentor, Rivka Sass, said, why don't you apply to Omaha? So I went to Omaha, Nebraska, and was the assistant director there. Did a lot of organizational development. And um, then the opportunity to be the deputy state librarian and work with Susan Hildreth, which is awesome, came up about. And while it was short to leave from Omaha, it was an opportunity that I felt like I couldn't, couldn't miss. So tell us some politically incorrect things about the governor. <laughs> <laughs> this is on video, so no, he's wonderful. <laughs> One of the questions that came from a student was about planning their career, and it sounds to me from what you've just said that it's more serendipitous and taking advantage of opportunities that mm -hmm. occur. Would you say that that was your experience? Absolutely, and I think it's also about finding your passion. 
what interests you and going to organizations that have the same interests or similar uh, values or ideas. And um, as you learn and grow into other areas, uh, to move with that and to, to be brave enough to move and to try different things. Moving halfway, I sort of felt like I took the journey here. First to Nebraska, and then we made it all the way to California. And people are joking that I can't go much further west unless I go to Hawaii or <laughs> another country. So um, I think it's also, too, about volunteering. Whenever you get the, the chance to volunteer on a new project or try something new, be a part of it. Spend the extra time and energy. Um, with the Sailor Project in Maryland, I actually spent weekends with a friend of mine. We were creating the first gopher menus. For our, for our statewide network. And so I learned a lot about um, the back end and development and then we started doing websites. And so I was learning a lot and at the same time I was developing all these skills that then led me to my next job. So I think that's a good thing to do too is when you see opportunities, when somebody says, hey, does anybody want to try this? Raise your hand and say yes. I'll be the first person to try it. Tell us a little bit about the State Library and how it supports libraries in California. State Library is fabulous. Um, there's so much that State Library does. The main mission of the library is to support the information needs of state employees. Uh, we have a California History Room, which is also open to everyone, and we have amazing treasures. So please come visit the State Library and see our treasures. We have a amazing, we have the original artwork from the first person who found gold in Sacramento. <laughs> it looks like a, like a third grader, has little pop-out boxes, like, what did you find? I found it over here. And, it's, it's really amazing, the history. Um, we also have um, the recall election paraphernalia, which is amazing. Uh, we have uh, government um, documents. We also have the Library for the Blind, um, so we have Braille um, books, um, and um, also the uh, audio books, so people can listen to them, which are just amazing, and eventually moving into digital, which um, the Library of Congress is working on now. And we have uh, the Library Development um, Bureau, which works directly with public libraries, uh, using federal funds, uh, Library Services Technology Act funds to support projects, uh, statewide projects and initiatives to help further, further libraries. So we have an amazing array of, of things that we do. And I don't think a lot of people know what the State Library does. I'm not sure that uh, many people know that its primary responsibility, as you said, was to serve the information needs of state employees. Mm -hmm. Would you like to expand on that a little bit? How do you do that? Um, there are a variety of ways. Uh, one, we have collections that support the needs of um, people who work in the state, but we also have the California Research Bureau, which um, works directly with the legislature and does unbiased research um, on various topics um, as they're pursuing bills or issues to figure out what kinds of decisions they want to make. Has the State Library found itself in the position where their unbiased research was seen as politically biased? Um, that I'm not sure about. I'm so new. <laughs> so new here. I've only been here about four months. Um, but since I've been here, I haven't, I haven't seen anything yet. But I'm sure there probably is something. We'll have to ask. Tell us a little bit about your role in the State Library as Deputy State Librarian. Um, it's a new and evolving role. Uh, Susan Hildreth really is looking at the dynamics of the organization, so my role is a little bit different than the previous Deputy State Librarian. Um, I am working now with Library Development and the Library Development Bureau, so directly working, uh, looking at the LSTA program and um, all of the projects that we're going to support and where we want to take our projects, and also with our uh, Internet and um, Technology Bureau that um, deals with all of our technology. So those are my two primary areas, and then I have big projects. So my first big project is statewide reference, and really looking at all of the resources that we have in terms of how we provide information services to the public, and what do we really need to be doing with those resources, or what do we need to be doing differently that would better serve the needs of people from California. So is all of the library development work done with federal funds then? Mostly, yes. With the exception <coughs> of some of the state programs, uh, so there's the uh, Public Library Foundation, which is state aid to public libraries. Um, there's also the um, California Library Services Act, which is related to the statewide reference and um, also um, uh, interlibrary loaning of materials. And does the state library ever become involved in local issues, such as the one that we have in San Jose right now around the possibility of internet filtering? Sometimes, yes, it just depends on what the issue is, and um, it also depends on what the politics are of the issue, but often we're providing support, or we can provide um, other people. We can link them to other people who've had similar issues, because we know what's going on statewide. So I think it just depends on, on the, the issue itself. What would you say are the um, primary trends or issues for libraries in 2007, 2008? 
Um, you know, it's a really interesting question. Uh, there's a great quote by William Gibson, the future's already here, it's just unevenly distributed. And um, I think that we're seeing a lot of changes in technology and how people use information and people's perceptions of value of libraries and what the role of libraries are. And I think our um, the biggest challenge for us right now is to uh, help people understand what the real role is in the community. And in every community, the library might have a different role uh, because of the community's needs. So in one community, it might be very rural. It might really center around access and teaching people how to use technology. In another place where people have technology, they might want wireless available in their library. They might want a whole range of services that are very different. So I think the trends that we have to watch are, one, how are people finding and using information? Um, what are people's perceptions of the library and the value, and really making sure we understand the needs of our individual communities so that we can, can meet them. There are some people um, in the state, senior public library leaders, who have uh, made the statement that reference information services in public libraries is dead. We just might as well get over it and move on. And <laughs> others who see this as a primary core service. Where do you fall? I think that it's a niche and it's a niche that's changing. And I think the way that we deliver the service has to change. I think the model of uh, sitting and waiting for people to come and ask a question um, is, is not the same because people don't have to come to us and ask us simple questions like, how high is Mount Kilimanjaro? They can pretty much find those basic answers um, on their own. I think what, people, what is hard for people is taking complex information and putting it together. And I think we have to look at the way that we're doing reference, change the way that we're looking at how do we provide information to people. It, it seems like it's a lot to spend, to have a professional staff member who sits and only gets maybe five questions in the three or four hours that they're on the desk, and three of those questions are where's the bathroom or how do I use something. Um, we have to look at how we better use our resources, and I think the idea of helping people package and and manipulate the data. Because I think, I read something recently where they said that information is not the problem. We have a lot of information. It's about how do you get people's attention and how do you, how, how do you sort of wade through all that information to get what you want. And even though we have all this information, doesn't mean we even know more. There's another study, a little study that was in Wired Magazine that showed a charts that said that most people can't even, they can't even identify major figures anymore, I mean, major like world leaders. And we have more information, we have more access to information. So more access doesn't mean that we're smarter. So how do we help our communities be smarter with all this information? So I just think we need to rethink it and look for the white spaces because I think there's a lot of reference work that people are doing on their own. And the idea that now we're kind of all searchers, if you think about it, everybody can search if they have access, an access point for information. So if we're all searchers, as opposed to how it used to be where the librarian really was the person who could like lead you to everything, how do we change what our role is in that world where everybody's a searcher? And a content provider, too. Mm -hmm. There's a saying in, in schools today that we face the possibility of um, becoming information rich but knowledge poor. Yes. That mm -hmm. sounds like what you're talking about as well. Absolutely. And what do you think that librarians need to know and understand, be able to do in order to be successful now and in the future? Um, definitely, I think there's organizational development that uh, you really have to have a clear sense of, of and how organizations work. I think that as libraries we're trying to evolve and it's one thing to develop our services but if we don't have structures that support the development of new services and innovation, it makes it really hard to move. And so I think that we definitely need to have organizational concepts or basic ideas of uh, how organizations can function uh, what kinds of things you do in terms of change management. Uh, also, public speaking skills. <laughs> Part of the library is making sure people understand and that you have a message and that you can articulate that message. I've been saying this for a couple weeks because it just stunned me so much. I don't know how many people have seen the South Carolina, Miss South Carolina video. Um, they asked her why Americans can't... No one's going to admit to it. <laughs> <laughs> you can admit it. Um, why Americans, most Americans can't find the United States on a map. And she kind of started to tie, I believe, most Americans can't find the United States on a map because they don't have maps, and such as the Iraq. And then she started speaking gibber. I don't know what she was. She started speaking in tongues because it didn't, it didn't make any sense what she was saying. And what I worry about is that librarians 
can't articulate their message. And our message has to be very clear and simple about what our role is in the community and what difference it makes in our community. So I think being able to articulate your message, I think understanding design, Anthony and I were talking about design and um, how we have to think about our spaces, and how we have to think about the information we're giving to people. I was just at a conference in Camden, Maine called PopTech and they talk about the intersection of technology and society and they have all kinds of people sharing what the projects they're doing and what's happening in technology and there are more and more people who are taking data and representing it in graphic ways so that people can understand it better. Um, Chris Jordan is a photographer who wanted to understand consumerism because when people tell you, well, Americans throw away um, two million bottles, plastic bottles, every five minutes, what does that really look like? And so he actually created a photograph of what that would look like. And so I keep, and then there was another person, um, Jonathan Harris, who created a website called wefeel.org, and he's created sort of like a database on Flash that they go out and they search blogs, and anytime somebody uses the word feel, it pulls it back into this database, and then they articulate the data in different ways. You can look at, was it a male or a female? Was it sunny or, rain, or raining that day? Um, and it's all very graphic. So I think the information that people are going to be getting is not going to be all words in the way that we present data. So I think we have to look at how are we giving people data, how are we presenting our information to people, and looking at that visual literacy piece. So there's visual literacy that has to be a part of that as well. And the first thing you mentioned was organizational development. And I think it's something that our school, like many others, is very concerned about and preparing people to work in teams and mm -hmm. cross-departmental teams and uh, develop recommendations for organizations. And yet, some would suggest that uh, public libraries are the last of the paramilitary organizations. You know, we have the, we have the chief, we have the deputy chief, just like uh, in the police service. Only two agencies charge fines, the police and the public library. <laughs> Very hierarchical in some agencies. Do you see public libraries changing to more flat organizations, more team-based, if we're preparing students to work in organizational development? I think, um, yes. I think, I think in many ways we have to. We have to create structures where everybody understands why, what the map. We were talking about this earlier, too. I believe in organizational maps. If everybody can see the map and see the destination where you're going, it helps everybody understand where you are. And what I find in a lot of organizations is that people aren't on the same map. It's kind of haphazard. You may have a leader who's leading, but there's no real understanding by the rest of the library system why they fit in together or how it all works together. And so I think that in terms of organizations, it's a lot of, uh, in Maryland we did some organizational development around learning organization principles. And the biggest one that came out that everybody identified with was systems thinking, which is understanding in an organization where you fit and how you fit with all the other pieces of the organization. And once you understand that, it actually helps organizations flow better because you're not making assumptions about who does what. You know what everybody does. And you know that when you change something, it influences somebody else. And what I find in a lot of organizations is we don't have those basic kinds of models that hold us together um, and, and create clarity for the organization. So, and we have a lot of um, systems that are going to be changing because people are moving on. Or, or, and we also have younger people coming in who are used to working in teams and groups because they've done that a lot in schools. So it's balancing those, those experiences and the organization at the same time. And, and how do we build passion for the organization too? Many libraries are positioning themselves as community development agencies. How do we prepare people to work more in the community outside the building? Uh, in electronic age, the term outreach is even outdated because it suggests it's centered in the facility. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, I think a lot of that has to revolve around relationships. And there's Dale Carnegie's book, <laughs> How to Win Friends. It's not about manipulating people. Has anybody read How to Influence you know, Dale Carnegie's book? I think it's really a good book. It's a basic thing about, it's a basic book about building relationships. And I think that one of the key things is understanding how we have to build relationships. And then it goes back to systems thinking, understanding the ecosystem of our community. How does our community work? Who's making the decisions? How do we, um, who do we have to talk to? to um, understand what the needs are, where do we find needs so that we can fill needs, how do we, it's, it's really basically understanding your ecosystem. And if you can get a hold on that, if you have a mental mind in your head like, okay, I need to know who's the person who manages the money, who's the person who's making the decisions, who's this person? And then also it's about understanding the people in the community. Is there an art community that we need to get involved in that we could do programming in the library? Who are people that we could do partners that 
partnerships with that would have never thought of us as partners. And we did a lot of things in Omaha. Rifka's, Rifka Sass is amazing with <laughs> finding partners. People are like, oh, I never would have thought of the library as a place to you know, do this event or uh, work with you. So um, I think it's a lot about relationships and how we build relationships with people. How um, does the state library prepare libraries and librarians for this future? That's a good question. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with the development piece, which um, with the funding that we have, we can really help people try new things that they might not be able to do otherwise without the funding. I think there's also a role for us in help leading and being at, I like to call it like the 747 level because you have a sense of what's going on everywhere. You're kind of like, you're not sort of buried down in a library, but you're seeing the big picture. Um, I think there's a role to provide leadership to say, look, this is what we're seeing up here at the 747 level. How should we pay attention to, to these issues and how can we support you to prepare you for the next step, the next niche that libraries need to um, need to pay attention to. So statewide reference is that first, first big step is we are kind of taking a step back. It's been two years, we've been doing a lot of gathering of information and we really do want to move forward. We really want to say what is statewide reference in the 21st century now? We don't think this same model is going to work. But what does it look like and how do we position ourselves and how do we, uh, how do we create an evolution path for ourselves mm -hmm. as a state? Mm -hmm. And the state library will help lead that? Mm -hmm. Yes. Now someone shared your interests in um, the future and looking at opportunities and trends and so on. What advice would you give them to really be able to spot trends and how the library or, or their agency might take advantage of those? Um, one of the things uh, that is definitely helpful is to do environmental scanning. And basically environmental scanning is being aware all the time. It's reading all kinds of things, things that you wouldn't even think you would read. Um, for example, I'll go to a Borders or a Barnes & Noble where they have the rows and rows of magazines and journals, and I'll actually pick up things that don't really interest me. So. Uh, I'll pick up a biker magazine, I'll pick up a knitting magazine, and what you start to see are trends, you start to see trends actually through these, the types of technologies people are using, they're just being used in different ways. You'll start to see patterns in how people are thinking and using information. If you look at a basic um, magazine now, like Business 2.0, they have intentionally changed their format to be like a website. So um, you'll start to see how formats are changing and how people are taking in information. So it's really about reading and looking around you. I pay attention in malls. I'll look at what people are using, like how many people have their cell, I will intentionally ask myself, like how many people are using their cell phone now? What kind of cell phones are they using? Or if I see something I've never seen before, I might ask somebody, can I see that? Wow, what is that? And when the iPhone came out, we went to a concert and the person in front of us having, oh, that's an iPhone, can we see it? <laughs> um, and it's really being open to just look at everything and looking at how is society changing and, and watching all kinds of television programs too. I mean, I know the like reality TV stuff sometimes it's a little strange, um, but you can get a lot about what people are thinking by watching a variety of different pieces. So it's kind of like being on all the time. And then it's also looking at things and trying to make dynamic connections, which is really another important skill that we have to have. We can't look at something and say, well, that doesn't relate to the library, so I'm just not going to pay attention to it. Because there might be an opportunity there that you may not see it at the moment, but what could be done with it. So for example, um, has anybody seen the fly pen, fly fusion pen? Um, they've been out for a while. They've been developing them since the late 1990s, and um, they were developed in Europe, and then LeapFrog bought the technology. And there are these really cool pens that when you write with them, they have little cameras in them and you use flypaper, which has little grids. It takes a little picture every time you write and it can respond to you. So you actually, instead of like using a computer or using an actual calculator, you draw a calculator with the pen and then you point to the numbers, one plus two equals, and then it tells you that. So I point to it and it goes one plus two equals. So the interaction is different than a normal computer. I mean, you're not with a keyboard, you're not with a screen. You're using this pen, which we're familiar with. We're familiar with paper. And so those are the kinds of things when I see that, I go, well, that's kind of interesting. That's a switch. And how long is it going to take to take off? And the fly pen didn't really take off at first. <laughs> and now all of a sudden they have the fly fusion, which they've given it new things like MP3 player ability and direct homework help. And they're really marketing it in a different way. But it's looking at new technologies and thinking, that's interesting. Not because, and it's not that it's going to fail. Because a lot of people look at something and say, oh, that'll never make it. 
The interesting piece about it is how is it going to change the way we start interacting with technology. Microsoft now has the new touch tables. I don't know if you've all seen those where there's surfaces where you can move pictures around with touch. So we're going to be interacting differently with technology. That means our users are going to expect different interactions. So how do we prepare for that within our spaces and libraries? So. I think that's, you touched on a couple of things. One, uh, well, a number of things, but a couple that I'll pick up on. One is the important to be really user-centered or client-centered. Uh, we try a number of things here where we push the edge a little and we hear from our students uh, from time to time around Second Life, immersive environments. I'm not interested in that. It has no appeal for me. And we try to communicate, it's not about you. Mm -hmm. It's about your clients. And that's mm -hmm. really uh, what you're saying. Now, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but you said something that I think is instructive and a bit illustrative as well. And that's that, what is the deputy state librarian doing going to a bookstore to see current materials rather than your local public library? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good question. Um, well, I'll tell you, I write on the edge. I'm an edge writer. I'm a generation X, and I am um, about convenience. And so I do have a public library that's near, um, but um, it's a lot of trip chaining. If we go shopping, there are other stores that are near there. I tend to trip chain, so I go to the things that are, are close. But also, there's a more variety in the bookstore than there actually is in the, in the library in terms of all the different kinds of technology magazines, all the different kinds of crocheting. Libraries have very specific collections that are sort of the general. And what I want to get at are sort of the outlying things that aren't usually a part of collections. So not that the library doesn't have what. I, I like using the library sort of remotely. I'm a remote user, databases and, and the like. As a colleague of mine, Owen said, a CEO of a large public library, our problem is that if we're really doing our job, all the bestsellers are out in circulation. Right. So when people want to see the bestsellers, they're not there. Right. You know, and why are they not there? Because we're doing our job. And so it becomes a bit of a paradox and a problem. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And we live in a, a immediate sort of fast food nation where we're used to getting things immediately. And if you know you can get it immediately. And price points aren't that high. So if a price point isn't high, it's going to be a lot easier for me to get something. And if it's more convenient, I'm probably going to go for the low price point then than the other. I think, too, also what I like about public libraries, I'm a program person, so if you have a really neat author or some kind of event, I would, be, I would go to something like that as well. Um, but general resources, I tend to be digital, very digital. So. In an earlier conversation, you used an expression I wonder if you might pick up on and uh, explain, and that's what's an opportunity hunt? Um, it goes along with environmental scanning, um, and I'll use the fly pen as an idea. I have these three questions that I always ask in my head when I'm looking at something new or interesting. And the first one is, what is it really? So what is it? Like, how much memory does it have? What does it really do? How is it created? What is it made out of? And then I ask myself, what does it really mean? So OK, it's a pen. How many people are going to use it? I start to like think through the scenarios of how it might be used and what it could mean to future sort of development. And then the last thing is, how could we innovate in the library around it? with some kind of programmer service. So with the pen, the fly pen, it has a Spanish module to it. And so you can write a word in English. So I could write cat, and if I tap it, it'll say El Gato. Cat, El Gato, it'll tell you what it is. So imagine staff being able to sit at a reference desk and they couldn't translate a word, they could write the word and tap it to have an interaction with someone. Or um, I'm really interested in, I think libraries are the great place for dialogue and discussion. Bring in some funky new technologies and have like a team group get together and say, what do you think of these? Do you think you're going to use these? Do you think, what do you think your future is going to look like with these new technologies? I think it's a perfect opportunity to bring young people in to, to experience things they might not buy because they're still kind of not really fully blown functional tools, um, but to get them thinking about their future too. I think we have, we have that role. And I think actually the new ones, you can take notes and then it uploads them to your computer. So why not have staff trying them? Um, by taking notes at meetings and uploading them. So I start to think about what are the opportunities. And then you, then you have to then go, okay, well, what's the real likelihood that that opportunity is going to lead to something different? You have to decide what that opportunity is. And in this case, for the fly pen, it's experiential. It's helping people get ready for the next level, I think. You've had uh, senior experience at the state level in Maryland, and now in California, and you've had uh, city-level senior experience in Omaha. What influences 
legislators or decision makers to provide support for libraries and library services? Wow, if I had the perfect answer, I could be really rich. <laughs> um, there, you know, it really depends on the person. And it depends on what the agenda is for the, the, the body or the entity that's you know, managing your city or managing your state or anybody who's in the legislature. I can tell you directly from Maryland, um, the experience that we had there, we had a very uh, core group of library directors. In Maryland, it's only 27 systems, three regionals and the rest are public libraries. Um, who were very dedicated to getting on the radar of the, the legislature, the Assembly and the Senate. And in between sessions when we didn't have anything going, going on, they would visit them and tell them what was going on in their local communities. And they would constantly keep them aware of what was happening in a very friendly way. And um, then we decided, well, we need data, because data is also very good too. We did a survey of all the counties in the state, uh, statistically, um, good survey um, of people and their perceptions of the public library and what services they use and what's important to them. And the survey was really good. People very much think that they get something for their tax dollar um, from the public library and that the library is a good use of taxpayer money. And we knew that out of 5.4 million people, 3.2 million people had library cards in the state. So we could go with this data then, after we'd already built relationships, then we had the data, and then we went and asked for more money for the state aid program. And it was easy to ask by then, because by then the legislature and the assembly, they knew what, what the purpose of what was right, they knew what was going on in their districts, and then they could see the data statewide that their voters believe that the public library is worth their, their tax dollars. So a lot of it is around building those relationships, um, not always being there when you want something, but just letting people know what's going on so that they can see the impact. And I think a lot of it too is showing that impact. What difference are you really making? Because so many people, we're all taxpayers, we want to know where our money's going and that it's, it's making a value for our community. So. so there are issues with funding in California right now, like a governor's budget cutting some levels of support. Um, if you were to take your experience elsewhere and to make some suggestions as to how to turn that around, what would you be telling library directors right now? A, a lot of it is going directly to your, your local assembly member or <coughs> senator and, and letting them know um, what, what makes the difference, what the funding really does in your community and how it, how it makes it more safe or it helps your community be smarter or it helps business people. Um, create their small businesses, it's really informing people of the value. And I think the more we can look from the local level, because that's what really matters, inform what we're doing and how it makes a difference, I think that's, that's what really matters. With your work in uh, futuring and your political work um, and making a difference, what advice would you give to the uh, director and faculty of a school who are preparing people for the future? Oh, that's a good one. I think one of them is passion. Is as much passion as we can continue to give to students and as much passion as we can keep people um, who are coming out of library school, going into their communities and being part of communities where they can make a difference is a really uh, important thing. We um, have a course in passion, so that's what we're Excellent, excellent. Um, <laughs> I'd like to take that. Um, uh, and I think, I think the real, some of the concerns I do have with library schools and getting people ready is really being ready for what it's like to work in an organization. That is really, I mean, most libraries are in turmoil right now trying to figure out how do we do all this stuff and how do we change and how do we get people to move who've been doing one thing and, and that's why I was talking about organizational development. I really think that's like a core piece that if, if students could walk out having some mental models about okay, I understand my organization right now is in this part of the change, <laughs> a part, and you know, have a model to decide, okay, if I know I'm here, here are some strategies that I know I might be able to help move the organization. So that organizational piece is so important. And I think also the, the, um, the public speaking and the giving, uh, being able to articulate the message. I think those are the, the key pieces. Um, that I think are, will help students be successful, but will also help libraries in general. We get a lot of advice around um, organizational development, around um, 
the kind of personal characteristics that employers are looking for uh, around change management. Um, if we take the unique features of our profession and discipline, mm -hmm. which of those still need to be taught, if any? Wow. Well, I think, you know, basic organization of information is really valuable. Um, I'm, Susan Heldreth has worked really hard to get us sort of on the education radar, and I'm on this group of educators right now, um, and they're mostly academic, and they're working on these projects right now where they're putting together databases of information. And after I was sitting in one meeting, the guy looked over and he said, you know, we really should be talking to librarians about how we could organize this information. And I was like, yeah, that would be a good thing. So um, I think that's um, a really sort of core piece of, of what we do. I think there's still, I mean, literacy is still a huge piece, and I think it's just beyond, it's even beyond information literacy. I think we have to look at visual literacy, and how do we teach basic literacy skills for anything? Finance, it, there are huge literacy issues with a whole bunch of different things. Um, health literacy, if you think about genetics, we are going to have to make so many more decisions, complicated decisions about our bodies based on all this new science that's going to let us have customized. I think there's a role for libraries to kind of help in that sort of ongoing education, so those basic literacy skills. I think um, young adult services and children's services are so important because we have a role to help those future generations getting ready to be successful in our communities. So I think those are key pieces. What advice would you give to somebody um, in our school now who wanted to follow the kind of career that you've had? Wow. Um, I think back to being uh, willing to take some risks and to look for opportunities and to meet lots of different kinds of people and to pursue your passion. I've never understood this next question, but it comes up all the time and people seem to be fascinated by it. What are you reading right now? <laughs> <laughs> and then your job, you can't say nothing, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have three books that are on my nightstand right now. I have uh, Grass Forest Pillow, which is an Atori. Atori, it's a fiction book by uh, Leanne Hearns. I have um, The Whole New Mind by Daniel Pink. And I have How to Lie with Statistics, um, which is like an old book from the 50s, but really good, actually. Um, Especially for advocacy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, it's amazing. And that's actually, you know, that's another skill that I think we really need to have is we're really good doing research, but I don't think libraries are really good at taking data and looking at it and, and turning it upside down and putting different pieces of data together to build more powerful arguments for different things. And so knowing these kind of statistical things, you can take data and really kind of look at it from all different angles and then say, wait, we're missing a piece of data. You know, what does it look like if we add this piece of data? How does it contribute? A number of people who work in the corporate sector say that 15 years ago it was satisfactory to give somebody a bibliography or a bunch of articles. Now their uh, employers are saying, give me a five-page synthesis. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. Same kind of thing as you were saying. Well, people pay for those executive briefings, which mm -hmm. take all the new business books and they chunk them into one page each. Um, that's the kind of stuff people are looking for, is how can you chunk the information for me so I can take it in but not be overwhelmed by it. Mm -hmm. Do you have any questions you have for us? Um, what's your vision for, for librarians in the 21st century as, a, as the head leadership of a library school? My position is called primus inter pari, <laughs> first among equals from my six years of Latin. Um, I think that the mission hasn't changed all that much. I think that um, we um, enable society and each individual to access and make effective use of recorded information and ideas. And I think the piece we've added is that we do it in this school for the well-being of our communities, mm -hmm. whether it's a, a research community in an academic library, whether it's a school community or a, a general community. And so I think what's happening are the tools and techniques are happening, are changing, obviously. I think that uh, we've moved from um, 20 years ago a sense of the public good to demonstrating public value. Yes. So that Mm -hmm. brings in the whole political piece, the advocacy piece, the use of statistics and so on. So I think the context has changed a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that there's um, 
in many ways, this is our time. It's a, mm -hmm. a very exciting time. People create their own uh, jobs. Uh, we're, um, space is becoming more available in the sense that public space is diminishing, and the public library as a space is becoming a, a very important, as well as the uh, electronic access to information. But I do think it starts with the client, mm -hmm. uh, and you move out from there. And um, we do have a bit of still of um, an Oedipus complex mm -hmm. in our profession that we need to move away from, but uh, working in organizations, whether they're libraries or corporations or universities, becomes very important because we can't be isolated any longer. Mm -hmm. So I think we're agreeing in many ways in that sense. And I think we need to, to develop uh, more partnerships with groups like the State Library around the areas where we have expertise, mm -hmm. whether it's in research, uh, market research, future trends, uh, focus groups, uh, engaging our faculty and students in different ways that's mutually beneficial. So we are actually having some direct impact in our communities as well as what we're doing one step removed in a school like this. Mm -hmm. I think there's power in connections and power in partnerships and and it's, um, we've been actually talking with you all about doing some work with us mm -hmm. and um, mm -hmm. doing some studies, user studies. How are people in California finding and using information? We have the OCLC studies, the environmental scans, but what about California? How do we compare to the rest of the, the country? Mm -hmm. Since we have Silicon Valley here. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. And there may be questions from the audience. Is there anyone who has a question for our guest? are definite um, opportunities for us to come together and do projects together and uh, use our resources in a beneficial way that makes more bang for the buck when we partner together. I think um, oftentimes in the past it's been hard because there are definite missions for an academic library and there's a definite mission for a school library and, there's, and public libraries are kind of like everybody and so it's how do we find those partnerships that um, really benefit our communities and get back to what are we trying to do that benefits the people in the state and what can we do together that will create these services that will really help people be successful. Because in the end, I, I really got into libraries. I sort of fell into it, but I didn't get into libraries because I like to read. And I don't know how many people have been asked, oh, you're a librarian, you like to read. Um, I, I like to read, uh, but I got into libraries because I feel that information is power and the better information that people have, the better decisions they can make about their lives and the more successful they can be in their lives and that can help a community if everybody's successful. So I think that libraries have this great role, all kinds of libraries, academic, school. There are school libraries in California. Are there? <laughs> yeah. And we know from studies that kids do better if they have a school library. I can see why you have your position, because you very carefully and skillfully avoided the question, so let me reword it for you. Um, the California Library Association is really the California Public Library Association. There's a separate California School Library Association, there's an association of uh, people who work in special or corporate libraries, there's an association for academic and research libraries, and um, there's a saying that if you put two librarians in a room, they'll form a new association. <laughs> if you put a third one in, they'll give an award. Um, and I think that what happens is that we work very hard here to focus on uh, common knowledge, skills, abilities that may be represented and applied differently in different environments. People leave here, they go to a particular environment, that's their association, and as a consequence, coming as an outsider, as you uh, more recently have, um, where there are strong, strong state library associations in Texas and New York, there isn't a strong association here because there are five associations. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that was the question stated much more bluntly. And so I'm going to reframe it a little bit and say, does the state library see itself as a public library agency although offering special services to a client group, the legislatures, but outside of that special or corporate function, is it really a public library agency or is it there for all types of libraries and in what ways? That's a good question. I have to think about it because I am so new. I'm sort of learning all of the, the pieces and how we work Well, when together. you're new, you have all the answers. <laughs> <laughs> it's only afterwards you realize that you don't have Oops, them. I wrong answer. <laughs> um, I don't think we see ourselves as just a public sort of library agency. Um, 
I think what we really do want to find are ways that we can best produce projects that help um, help people move forward. Um, I'm thinking about digitization projects. There are all kinds of partnerships that could be formed with resources between different organizations to do digitization. So um, it may seem like we're more heavy public, but we really are looking for opportunities. And even in statewide reference, I've been sort of talking with some of my academic colleagues and saying, well, what do you think about this? We want to pull in other types of libraries into this because we're all affected by it in, in what we decide to do. So I don't think that we're just sort of that focused. I think it's about finding commonality. Um, I think about ALA and PLA. ALA always feels so overwhelming to me because there's just so much going on. And you end up just sort of like focusing in on, you kind of filter out everything, you stay where you are. And then PLA is much more focused on sort of the public libraries. And I think we get cozy. We feel more cozy in our environments. So I think in terms of how we can come together to be closer is where, where do we, where are our commonalities? Um, where's, where's an issue? I'm even finding in public libraries, like, well, what is the common thing that everybody in public libraries agrees on? And I'm not sure that we even have one thing among public libraries. So, um, what's well, we the all big agree thing? we'd like more money. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and frankly, in this environment, in this climate, we have got to be much more entrepreneurial in how we think about funding and how we think about programming and how we think about doing anything. And we have to be very strategic in how we're using the funds that we actually have. And in a lot of libraries, um, it's difficult because they've been flatlined. They may have top-heavy organizations that at one point could support a lot of professional staff, but now are kind of drowning because they don't have the right organizational structures to keep moving forward. So that's where it comes back to organizational development again. Is how do you build these fluid organizations that can move and can help you rethink how you're using your funding? I think part of that is partnering with the right people who do those kinds of studies. Um, for instance, Zogby, they actually keep a database of uh, every time they call somebody for a survey, they'll ask you if in the future you would be willing to be a part of future surveys. And um, if you give them your email address, uh, when they're doing surveys and they're picking your demographics and things, they'll, they'll send you an email message. So they keep databases of people who in our case, may never be like maybe non-users, so you can get that way. Um, and I think too is just talking to the people around you. I mean, not everybody you know uses a library. Talk with just the people you hang out with, or even I've been in grocery stores where <laughs> say, "Hey, have you have you used the library lately? It's really great. We have this program coming this weekend." And say, "No, I haven't." But hey, that sounds really cool. I'd like to see that author or whatever. So some of it's informal, but I think also it's um, looking to people who have a lot of expertise and, and getting information and gathering user information and um, working with them to use their resources. There's also an assumption that if you don't have a library card, you're not a library user. Right. And I've only ever had a library card twice in my life. That was when I was on a library board and you were required to. Uh, and uh, when we moved to San Jose, because there's a restriction on the number of books my wife can borrow, so she has to have two library cards <laughs> she required. But there are other ways of accessing the resources and services. We sometimes forget that. Mm -hmm. There also have been some studies recently um, which are counterintuitive, and that's in some urban public libraries that have done studies of local support. They've found that uh, non-users are actually more supportive of the public library than people yes. who use it. Absolutely. And when they look at donors, it tends to come more from non-users. I'm not sure what that tells us, but uh, mm -hmm. it's interesting that we rely often on our, on our intuition and it's often wrong. And I think we have sort of mental models of what a community is. And um, even there are some realtors that put it in their packets that say, and your local library is right here. It's close. And people will make decisions about their neighborhoods, sometimes based on whether or not they have these basic resources. And I think Libraries, in many ways, are this last bastion of democracy. I mean, think of the fact that you can walk into any library and have access to information. And somebody will help you find that information if you need it. I think, again, it comes back to the message. What is the message that we're, we're giving to people about the importance of libraries? And two things come to mind for me about libraries. Two simple messages. And one is the life of the mind. And it comes from Lynn Ziegenbein, who is the, um, 
executive director of the Peter Kewitt Foundation, and she's a big supporter of public libraries. She said, public libraries are about the life of the mind. And if you think about that, that's really cool. We're about the life of the mind. And when you say that to people who don't use it, they're like, well, what does that really mean? It's like, well, we're about helping people develop their ideas, their thoughts, their imagination. They could come into the library and educate themselves, or inspire, get inspired, or find information to make a better decision. And it can relate to just about any service that you're providing to this life of the mind. And then the second piece would be the um, whole notion of uh, memories. In many communities, we are the memories. We are the holder of the memories of our community. And it's very hard, I think, for us to imagine a future if we can't understand our past. And so we have these amazing collections, these amazing stories from our local heroes, our local developers. And um, being that, that curator of the memories of, an, of a community is really important, too. So I think it's about, again, finding the message, a simple message that people get. Um, the original intent, we had a very visionary state librarian, Maurice Trevelyan, who saw technology coming, and he, um, he got all the libraries to agree to use their federal funds, which we would normally have given out in grants, to build a backbone across the state so that every public library and every branch would have internet access. And this was 95, 94, 95. Um, and so that was the basic intent, was to get everybody connected. And he knew at some point, eventually, they would drop off and they would get their own connections. But it was to get us all connected and to get people access to information. Um, the database piece, there are a few. There's a State Library Resource Center. The, uh, Maryland doesn't have a state library, per se. There's an archives, and there's a law library. And there's a State Library Resource Center, which is housed at the um, Baltimore City um, Enoch Pratt Free Library. And through that, we funded a lot of projects to help support the state. I think it's, um, again, 5.3 million people, 5.4 million people in Maryland and 37 million people. And the, the disparate needs in the state, it really is about getting us all to agree to some, what is it that we all can agree that is important to us and will make a difference? And if we can find that one thing to start, <laughs> I think we could move on a project like a sailor kind of project. When it comes to actual networks, though, that's a whole other ballgame because now it's a lot of politics and it's a lot of, and especially with businesses. Um, in, in Nebraska, we wanted to put wireless, uh, so that was like a two-mile radius around the downtown library that we had. And just that year, the um, state legislature had passed a law that um, government entities couldn't provide wireless access. <laughs> so we kept going, well, but we're not really, you know, you start to do this dance. And so, and then there's the businesses who are trying to provide access. In Sailor, we fought, we had to fight all the local network people all the time. And we kept saying, we're the bottom feeders. <laughs> we're the bottom feeders. We're not providing like the best access, so you can provide that. But there's a lot of politics and, and networks have changed so much. Um, I think we need to, to look at that. Thank you very much. The school has been very pleased to host uh, Stacy Altrick, the new Deputy State Librarian for California. Thank you so much and, uh, We very much appreciate your being here and honored to have you here. And we thank those of you who have viewed this webcast and listened to it. And we look forward to your participating in our future webcasts. Thank you very much. Thank you.